0: Two weeks ago today, I started our series on uh, having a spiritual Christianity and not just a religious faith or being good people or even being moral people, but being spiritual, meaning interacting with the Holy Spirit. We're interacting with the kingdom of heaven or what Jesus called the kingdom of God and being spiritual. I'm doing this because we live in a world where we pick up a lot of materialist ideas and I'm not using the word material like wealth and money it is an unconscious assumption of most people even most christians that the world is physical and that the world is material and what is substantial is the things of this life jesus said we have eyes and ears in the spirit and i read you 23 verses and i even cut out some of them where jesus said you have eyes but you can't see Oh, you have ears, but you're not hearing. Open up, perceive what I'm telling you. Uh, There are things going on in the Spirit with the Holy Spirit and the glory of God and the will of God and the kingdom of God and angels and demons and all of that. And Jesus said to perceive it. But we live in a world that denies all of that in science and medicine and philosophy and, and just daily life. And so what I'm trying to do is to open up your ears and your eyes and I told you that uh, Jesus's instruction to Paul on the road to Damascus is I'm sending you to them to open their eyes to get you to see what's really going on and it's not just physical. There's an atheist scientist slash philosopher named Richard Dawkins who wrote a book called The God Delusion how those of us who believe in God are deluded. There is nothing more than molecules and chemistry and physics that make up the universe. And there's another scientist who just a few years ago, his name is Dr. Rupert Shelton. He's a cell biologist from Cambridge University. He wrote a book in response called The Science Delusion. And he is not a believer, he's not a Christian, he doesn't believe in God, he totally believes in evolution, that the earth is billions of years old, uh, he's, he's not a Christian, but he sees the fact that the, the scientific mindset is a faith that believes they know what the world is made of and how it began and how it works. It's exactly a religious faith. And so he wrote a book called The Science Delusion. And he says, the biggest scientific delusion of all is that science knows the answers. The details still need to be worked out, but the fundamental questions are settled in principle. He said, that's the delusion, that scientists think we know how the world works. If you know anything about the history of science or medicine, you know it is just a progression of them figuring out where they've been wrong. In everything, from outer space and medicine and everything. And it's no different today back to Rupert Shelton. Contemporary science is based on the claim that all reality is material or physical. There is no reality but material reality. Consciousness is a byproduct of the physical activity of the brain. Matter is unconscious. Evolution is purposeless. God exists only as an idea in human minds and hence in human heads. These beliefs are powerful not because scientists think about them critically but because they do not think about them critically. The facts of science are real enough. And so are the techniques that scientists use. But the belief system that governs conventional scientific thinking is an act of faith. And then he goes on. His entire book is based on what he calls the ten dogmas of the religion of science. And he says these are the ten core beliefs of the religion of science. Everything is essentially mechanical. Dogs, for example, are complex mechanisms rather than living organisms with goals of their own. Even people are machines. Quote, lumbering robots, in Richard Dawkins' vivid phrase, with brains that are genetically programmed computers. Number two, all matter is unconscious. It has no inner life or subjectivity or point of view. Even human consciousness is an illusion produced by the material activities of the brain. Number three, the total amount of matter and energy is always the same, with the exception of the Big Bang, when all the matter and energy of the universe suddenly appeared. He says in a TED talk that he gave, he said that the scientists who believe in the Big Bang, basically they're saying, give us one free miracle and then we'll explain everything else after that. Number four, the laws of nature are fixed. These are the same today, and they were as they were at the beginning, and they will stay the same forever. Number five, nature is purposeless, and evolution has no goal or direction. Number six, all biological inheritance is material, carried in the genetic material, DNA, and other material structures. Number seven, the mind is inside the head and is nothing but the activity of the brain. When you look at a tree, the image of the tree you are seeing is not out there where it seems to be, but it is inside your brain. Number eight, memories are stored as material traces in brains and are wiped out at death. Number nine, unexplained phenomena like uh, telepathy and miracles are illusory. And number ten, mechanistic medicine is the only kind that really works. Those are the ten core beliefs of the religion of science. And he writes this book to say there is so much more going on than what is just molecular, physical, chemistry, physics. And I would add to him, yes, you're exactly right. As Jesus said in Nicodemus, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> now, there is a spiritual dimension. There is a world, a kingdom, an eternity that is not material. It cannot be physically sensed. But Jesus said it must be spiritually sensed. He said, open your eyes and ears and see the kingdom of God. So we've talked about the last two weeks, the fact that we have a spirit and a soul and a body and that's from First Thessalonians 5. And last Sunday, if you were not here, please go back and listen online. If you're a regular around here and you're going to stay up with this uh, series, please go back and listen. I showed you how the scripture, how God calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit. And our body is called a tent. And that there was a tent that is the temple and it's the tabernacle of Moses. And God has provided a model for who we are and how we are made in the Spirit. In the tabernacle, that the tabernacle was three parts, an outer court and an inner court and a most holy or the holy of holies. And that's our body and our soul and our spirit. Talked about Jesus tearing that curtain at the cross. The curtain was torn as Jesus died. And Paul says this curtain is Jesus' flesh. His flesh was opened up and the blood came out. The curtain was ripped in the temple and the Holy Spirit came out and was poured out on, on all people. And so he loosed the Holy Spirit into us to give us new birth. Today, I want to go back to that model of the tabernacle because I ended last week with telling you that that Jesus has ripped that curtain and there is not supposed to be any barrier between God and us. But then I told you that at the very end last week that, that you all know in yourself and in people you know, you know we put up walls. Of resistance to obey God, of of resistance to other people, we like to build walls, and I told you uh, we were going to talk about that today. So, so here we go. If you remember from last week, or if you weren't here, you just have to take my word for it. It's all described in Exodus. The tabernacle had a seven or eight foot tall white linen fabric fence around it, and God exactly prescribed its height and its length on each side it was supposed to be holed up with poles of wood that were capped with silver and it was exact description of how this was supposed to be built and then the Israelites built it in the days of Moses they moved it around in the wilderness and then they moved it into the promised land and they used this tabernacle until David was king and then Solomon built the temple but the temple was built on the same design and floor plan but it was a building made of stone and gold instead of a tent but the tabernacle had this fence around it this seven or eight foot tall white fabric linen fence and that strikes me as very odd it's totally portable and so for a nomadic people moving around the wilderness it it does make sense to have a fabric tent instead of a building where they worship their god but it strikes me as very odd because nothing in the nothing in the ancient world was walls or fences of fabric. They built things out of stone. If you know anything about the ancient world, they built their buildings and walls out of stone. And I've got some, some pictures here of some of those ancient walls. These ancient walls that they built were big. The walls around the ancient city of Babylon, which is, would be in what is now Iraq, the outer wall of Babylon was 17 feet thick. And it had an inner wall inside of that. And, of course, you know, the soldiers would stand on top and guard the city, and if the enemy came, they'd either have to get a battering ram to bash through 17 feet of stone, or they'd try to knock the gate over, or sometimes they'd try to tunnel over it, or other times they would build a dirt ramp against it to try to get up on top, and they'd have to do all that through a hail of arrows and burning tar dumped down on them, and rocks, and you know, catapults, and you probably have a little bit of an idea what this is, but these walls were big. Uh, the wall around Nineveh, The Bible says it took three days to walk around Nineveh on top of the wall. That is a lot of miles of wall. Three days walk. I think you could probably walk around the Grand Ronde Valley quicker than three days. I think we probably could. I never tried. I've ridden my motorcycle around it, but I haven't tried walking. (laughs) But you could go from here to Union and Cove and Embler and Somerville and back around in less than three days, surely. That is a big pile of rocks, folks. They went to a lot of work to pile rocks around their city. Nineveh was big. It was a very large city. This is a segment of the wall of Rome that is left. Not much of it left. A lot of it has been destroyed or crumbled or whatever. But it's called the Servian wall that was around Rome, it was, in its new creation, it was 32 feet high. It was 12 feet wide and 7 miles around. That's a lot of work to build a a wall of piled up big stones. Yeah, very big stones. So there's a couple other examples. Uh, That's a section of the wall left from Jerusalem. Uh, Still today, it's still there. That's more of a Middle Ages wall than an ancient world wall. That was built by crusaders or uh, possibly the Muslims trying to fight against the Crusaders. But still, you get the idea. It's these walls that can be walked on on top, guarded by soldiers, and it protects the city from invaders. So in the the next picture, this is in northern Africa. That That is a very, very big wall. People went to a lot of work to protect their cities because there was a lot of danger. Some of the gates and the walls of these cities are so big that we can build streets through them today. So why did we build? The, why did they build those walls? Okay, we all know it's for safety. It's for defensive purposes. It's protection. It's control of who goes in and out. And you know, so when the enemy nation comes with their army and is attacking, we we have protection. And you and I tend to do the same thing in our hearts. We build defensive walls in our soul. For the safety of our heart, because all of us, in incount- uncountable ways, and everybody's story is completely unique but we have been hurt or neglected or attacked or abused or isolated, or somehow we got the idea that we're in danger. So from very youngest ages, we learn to protect ourselves. And we put up walls, and we hide behind them for protection. And they also make a very good place to hide our own shame and guilt from everybody else. We don't want people to see the real ugliness that is my heart. And so I'll just stay here behind the wall. Thank you very much. Proof that you have a wall around your heart is in Revelation, Jesus says, I am standing knocking at the door. If you will open and let me in, I will come in. And we just sang, open up your heart and let me in. It's scriptural. It's what Jesus said. Jesus can't just waltz into your wide open heart. There's a wall around it and you have to let him in. We build these walls for safety, either to protect ourselves from getting hurt or to hide behind, to not let people really know the real us. And that wall might look like lots of different things. Everybody's individual architecture of uh, your defenses, everybody's is different. For somebody, it might be defensiveness. They're extra sensitive to criticism, and I I won't admit I'm wrong because I can't admit I'm wrong because that would hurt or that would be embarrassing. Or your wall is pride or you think you are special and exempted from all the rules because you're better and different than everybody else. Or it's lies, somebody that cannot admit the truth about how broken or ugly or worthless they think they are so they wrap their life in a whole bunch of exaggerations and lies and stories and and they just get wrapped up in a wall of lies or maybe it's shyness you use quiet and hiding and shyness I don't want to let anybody in I'm not going to let myself out I'm not going to let God out Uh, maybe it's perfectionism You you were Uh, disgusted or hurt by somebody that didn't do something right so I'm going to make sure that I and everybody around me is required to do it perfect it's defensive it's awful quiet in this Baptist church this morning maybe it's love of money maybe at some point you got the idea that it was scary to do without money or it hurt to do without money or maybe it's just pure selfishness but you have built Your life with money as the wall of protection around you that I am always going to have more than I need. And I am going to do anything to get it, and I'm going to do anything to keep it. Wow, y'all are really quiet today. (laughs) Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's arguing. Maybe it's judgment or condemnation of other people or rudeness. Or maybe alcohol is your wall of protection. I can't deal with the reality, so I'm just going to check out. And I will use alcohol as the barrier between me and how I feel. Or between me and other people or me and reality and the responsibilities and the overwhelming load of life. I can't handle it. I'm just going to put alcohol between me and them. Do you see what I mean by the walls that we build? Maybe it's isolation I'm going to just hide away from everybody emotionally relationally physically I'm going to move off into the wilderness and have nothing to do with anybody because then I won't get hurt maybe it's busyness well Mitch how could busyness be a defensive wall it's a really easy one because it's not immoral but it's really easy to hide behind busyness well I don't have time to relate to you I don't have time for friends I don't have time to serve God because I'm busy I got things to do. I can keep you at arm's length because I'm always going. I don't have time for God or anybody else. Doesn't sound immoral. Busyness is absolutely a lot of people's defensive wall of protection to keep people away. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's hopelessness or apathy or laziness or depression or disease somebody would ask Mitch how could sickness be a defensive mechanism you know people who like being sick it's their identity they like to talk about it it gets them a sympathy and attention and strokes even if it's real it becomes part of their identity Maybe you felt that before where you got sick for a long time and then it went away and you didn't know how to behave. You've been in pain for so long you don't know how to live life without it. It becomes defensive. It becomes a protection to hide behind. Bragging or joking or brashness. You know, I, I know a guy who, who has to be the first person in every social setting, in every gathering, he has to be the first person to make a joke about how fat he is. Because he, doesn't, he wants to make sure no one else hurts his feelings by pointing out that he's fat. So he will always bring that up. Any per, new person he meets, the first thing he will say is how fat he is. So that I don't get hurt because I'm embarrassed, actually, of how big I am. And I have to be the one to crack the first joke so that you don't hurt my feelings. Somebody who is a constant joker and never serious is a terrified person. There are people who are truly hysterically funny, but there are people who are always joking as a defensive mechanism. Don't get near me. I am hilarious, but I am only an inch deep. And you'll never know me because I'll always be cracking jokes to keep you away. Or bullying. The bullies that I know in my life, the meanest and most intentionally rude people I know who just like to pick on people are completely broken and, and, they, and, and hurt. And the more you find out about their past, they were just destroyed as kids. So I'm never going to be powerless again, and I'm always going to make myself feel powerful by putting everybody else down. It's a wall of protection, of selfishness. Maybe it's success or money, like I said. Maybe it's popularity. Maybe it's control. Manipulation, pouting. Lots of people like to use pouting to get other people to do what they want. It's gossip, it's sexual sin, it's addiction, it's greed, it's emotional detachment. I'm not going to feel anything because feeling things hurts too bad. So I'm just going to shut off my emotions. So I'm emotionally detached, I'm relationally detached. Maybe it's social anxiety. Like, well, Mitch, no, I didn't ask for my social anxiety. Well, maybe I know that you didn't, but but it's... it's a wall of fear between you and the world so why do we do this well it's very obvious it's for protection it's fear it's control we want predictability we want order and safety we want to be able to be defensive we want to be able to hide I will protect myself I will guard my heart I will hide myself inside and so you stand on the inside of that and you look out to the outside world from on top of your wall or from inside of your wall, and that protection makes you feel safe. It's the covering that you hide your real self. It's the excuse you use. It's the lie that has become your security blanket. And conscious or unconscious, it's a lens that we look through. I told you before the proverb that it's not in the Bible, but to a thief, all men are thieves. Who we are and how we think and feel inside becomes how we think everybody else thinks and acts and feels and so the person who is defensive and ready for a fight all the time and ready to have to prove themselves right anytime anybody contradicts them they're ready for a fight and they prove their own prophecy right everybody who's got rejection as their defensive wall and i just have a an idea or a spirit of rejection about me anytime anybody doesn't like something they do well see right i'm right They don't like me. They were never loyal in the first place. And we fulfill our own prophecies by looking through those lenses at the world, assuming everybody else is thinking about us the way we think about us. Don't even assume anybody else is thinking about you. They're all thinking about themselves. Come on. Conscious or unconscious, it becomes our wall becomes the lens that we look through. Into out in the rest of the world, and it colors everything that we see and everything that we think. And those walls that we build for protection become a prison. You get shut in, others get, can't get in to your heart, and God can't get out. And there's a Bible word for this. 2 Corinthians is on the screen. 2 Corinthians ten three to 5 For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Paul says that as he teaches and preaches, what he is doing is making war on strongholds. And the word means fort or fortress, a walled city. He says, "My, my ministry is pulling down strongholds. That my job is to attack forts. And where are those forts? They're in your mind. Because he says, look, he says, we are pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. The Greek word is logismo. It's logic. I am pulling down strongholds, casting down your logic and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So we have logic and knowledge bringing every thought into captivity for Christ. The way we think becomes a wall that becomes a prison. We built it for protection, but it becomes prison because it becomes a crutch at a security blanket that I can't leave. You can totally step out, but, but fear tells us you can't leave. You can't leave these walls. You have to stay in fear. You have to keep worrying. You have to keep in control. You have to keep manipulating people to get what you want. You have to keep arguing And it becomes a prison. But it's a stronghold, it's a fort of thoughts, of imaginations, one translation says. Several translations use the word imagination. You You know some people who think some things and they're crazy. They're imagining their own problem. Like, no, that's not at all what's going on here. Hello? Yeah. People get crazy ideas or suspicions. They're imagining things, but it's really just fear and suspicion. So Paul says there's a fort of thoughts, of imaginations, of logic, of beliefs, of knowledge. And it's all the previous list of strongholds that I I gave you. And Paul says that this is what preaching, teaching the word of God, this is what spiritual warfare is, is to attack your logic um, that is keeping you fortified in a prison. The way you think becomes a fortress. It's a wall that traps you. First of all, in your life, you had events or circumstances or memories or feelings or misunderstandings or assumptions that created either fear or pride, either fear or selfishness. Those are the only two sins there are, actually. Everything else is action based on those two motivations. I want what I want or I have to protect myself, one or the other. It's everything. If you think through it, it's true. It's biblical also. It creates fear and self-protection or it creates selfishness and greed. One or the other, or maybe both, as in my case anyway, maybe not yours. So then w- those emotions, those circumstances, those fears, those experiences and memories you have viewed through fear or self-protection or uh, selfishness become lenses that we look through, and we're always looking, where's the danger? What do I have to fight? Where, how do I need to protect myself? And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, and that wires synapses in our brain. You know, if you have a thought three or four times, your brain actually grows a new nerve for that thought. Right? When you have powerful emotional events, it's released at birth, they're formed at major memories in childhood. Lots of them are formed the for first sexual encounter, which is why God says, "Save that one for your lifelong spouse, because you are bonded to that person forever. Because your brain actually grows new nerves while that's happening. And in particularly terrible bad experiences, major traumas, major emotional grief can grow new brain cells. And those brain cells fire and we are back in that moment. And we feel it all and it is present tense. Present tense anger, present tense sexual temptation, present tense uh, abuse or whatever it was. The, the, those synapses grow, and uh, those things that were done to us, we really can't help that. But we can help the way we think. The synapses in our brain that we grow based on suspicion, fear, self-protection, we can, we can control that. Right. Synapses become habits. They become subconscious, unconscious. Then they become addictions and secrets and darkness. And then we get into deception and a hard heart. And what is a hard heart? God calls it a heart of stone. It is a wall around your soul. I have been in thinking and feeling self-protection and selfishness for so long. My heart has gotten hard and I have a wall around my heart. I have encased my soul in stone. God uses that metaphor over and over again. Heart of stone, let me replace the heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Let me give you safety and peace and joy and emotion back. Let me give you trust and joy. Once our heart becomes hard, you know a physically hard heart is not far from death. And it's the same in the spirit. So, Years ago, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven years ago, I had a dream. And in my dream, I didn't know these people at all that I was dreaming about. So I don't think it's meant to be specific to somebody. It's a general dream that the Lord gave me. In this dream, there is a man and a woman plotting a murder. And I am just observer in the dream. And I'm watching and listening to this couple. And they are full of hate for this person. And they want to kill him. One of the two goes and picks up a helmet, and this helmet looks like a skull, and the nearest helmet you could get an idea of here would be a full face, full face shield motorcycle helmet, or the football helmets that have the the lenses on them, the plastic shields over our eyes, it was a full face helmet that would encase somebody's whole head. It looked like a skull, it was shaped like a skull, and this helmet was alive, And when they brought it out, I could feel the evil, the wickedness emanating from this helmet. It was living evil. It was murderous, wicked, conscious, intentional, demonic murder was in this helmet. This thing was alive. And this couple is gleeful there are just like kids at christmas they are going to kill this man with this helmet so uh, the other man that they want to kill comes up the stairs into the room and they are waiting on either side of the stairs and they stick it on his head i don't know how i could see inside the helmet in my dream but i could inside the helmet blades came out and went into his head and started spinning like blenders and his Head and his brain just went, it just blew up. Blood and brains everywhere inside the helmet. But nothing on the outside changed. He didn't die. Nothing happened. He turned around wearing the helmet. He turns around and goes back down the stairs and goes on about his life. And this couple, I could not describe to you how happy they were. They had done their job. They had killed him. They had completely destroyed his mind with this helmet that they had put on that had scrambled his brain. It had killed him. And I woke up. And I knew immediately that that helmet was a stronghold. It was an idea that got put in his head. It was a lie that killed his spirit. But he didn't know it. There are a lot of those helmets in this room. Not everybody. But a lot. Satan has put ideas in your heart, in your head. Of self-hatred, of worthlessness, of depression or of greed and selfishness and or I have to always be right, I have to be perfect, or it's anger or it's the all of those that list. Every one of those is a helmet. It's a stronghold on the mind that encases our mind and it had this full face helmet. This person looked out through the eyes of death. It's a a fortress around the mind and around the soul. Those things, they're killing your mind. They're murdering your soul. It's a hard encasement around your heart or the way you think and the way you feel or don't want to. Somebody might say, well, I could see how depression or alcoholism might destroy somebody, but my busyness or my oversensitivity or my social fears are not killing me. Yes, they are, because they're removing you from the destiny that God has for your life. They're stealing your joy and your God-created purpose. They're filling you with fear. The lies we believe shred our mind. They encase our soul in a hard shell. And we go on about life. Don't know that anything happened. It's the way it's always been. Happened to me when I was a kid. I've always lived this way since. It's the way mom and dad handled money. It's the way dad handled alcohol. It's the way mom and dad did marriage. I don't know any different. I just go on about my life. And we're wearing this helmet that has shredded our brain and destroyed our heart and encased. And we're looking through the eyes of death instead of through the the eyes of God. And Jesus comes and he says, I want to open your ears and I want to open your eyes. I want to set you free. Because guess what? Jesus has a helmet to put on your head too. Maybe you've heard of it before. Hello? Yeah, here it is. Ephesians 6, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus got a helmet he wants to slam down on your head too. But guess what? It isn't going to scramble your brain. (laughs) It might rearrange the way you think. (laughs) But it isn't going to kill you. God has a helmet for you too. It is salvation. He wants to put salvation on your head. That the stronghold I live in is, I'm safe in God. I don't need a castle to hide behind. I don't need walls. I don't need to hide in shame and guilt and self-protection and greed and all the things that I've been fighting for or against. I am perfectly fine. I can come out behind my wall. I got a helmet on. I got a shield because the darts are real. Hello? The darts are real. The reason why you went inside the wall is real. But God says, that's become a prison. Come out and stand behind faith. Stand behind faith, because that will never be a prison. Put the helmet of salvation on your head. I'll give you a breastplate of righteousness. Rightness with me will protect your heart. You don't need a wall around your heart. You just need a little armor. And then, you know what? You're free. You can go anywhere, do anything. You're completely mobile and uncontained because I, I wear the armor of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want you naked and unprotected. He doesn't want you vulnerable, but just come out from behind the wall and put on my armor and you'll be free to do anything, go anywhere, love anybody, let me out, let other people in, and you still got a helmet and a shield and a breastplate, you're protected, but you're protected in faith in God, not in self-protection and greed and fear. I'm not relying on my own worry to make it right. I'm not worried on my own perfection to make it right. I'm not worried on my own money to make it right or whatever. I'm just, I can just go anywhere and love anybody and do anything for God and, and his armor will protect me. Now y'all are happy. You're talking now. All right, you get it. Yeah. So, so back to the tabernacle. Let, let the, so, so in the ancient world, everything had a stone wall around it, but God puts a white fabric fence around his tabernacle. Like, what is that, God? It really is totally out of place in the ancient world. If you know as much history to know about it, it's it's really strange. Like, God, why is there a fabric fence around your tent? So the, the, the fence is white linen. And in Revelation, it says the white linen is the righteous acts of the saints. God does not want a wall around his people or his heart. He wants us to be walled in by his righteousness. Righteousness, right relationship with God, being in covenant and communion, walking with God, is a protection in its own right. He doesn't leave us naked and exposed to the world. He says, My righteousness, right relationship with me, the righteousness of Christ that we have to have faith in. No, don't think about self-righteousness or proving yourself perfect in any way. But but the righteousness of God is the wall that He designed to be between us and the rest of the world, and it is covering and it protection. He doesn't want us to live inside a cold, hard. Fortress prison with a hard heart, but to live in soft and beautiful and pliable, a free covering of righteousness that can blow in the wind of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So again, somebody's like, okay, so what is that in real life? We get the the picture, but, but what's that in real life? Well, it's the opposite of everything that's on my other list. My other list was anger and alcohol and hatred and suspicion, and this is. Basically, it's the fruits of the Spirit. It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. It's all the good things that the Holy Spirit wants us in. The righteousness of God covers our heart as a breastplate. Or in Revelation, it's the robe that we wear. And in Exodus, it's the fence around the tabernacle. All three of those, what is that? It's protection. It's covering. It's like I'm not exposed. I'm not naked. I'm not ashamed. I'm not afraid. God's got me covered, but but not behind this stone cold hard barrier that becomes my prison. It's, it's beautiful and it's alive and it's pure and it's lovely and it's righteous and it's the righteousness of God is to what's to cover our heart. So whether you pick, you can pick the picture that you like the best, the fence around the tabernacle or the breastplate that protects our heart or, or the, the robe that the saints wear in Revelation. It's the righteousness of God is what's to cover us to protect us and so let's look at some scriptures where God says that righteousness is a protection and a shield for us proverbs 11 the integrity of the upright guides them but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity wealth is worthless in the day of wrath but righteousness delivers from death right there is the entire sermon in one verse some people put their trust in wealth that's my defensive wall I'm going to hide behind my savings account I'm gonna have lots of money God says, "That's worthless for defense in the day of trouble. Righteousness is what's going to protect you." Well, how is art righteousness going to affect me from the troubles of the world? That's where faith comes in. "Hello. Yes. I have to wear the armor of the spirit, which means I don't know how it's going to work out, but it will. The righteousness of the blameless makes the straight way for them, but the wickedness are, wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. Next one is Proverbs ten two. The treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. Righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs twelve seven. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of righteousness will stand. Is that not exactly opposite of what you would expect in the natural world? God says, you live in my tent, you'll be protected. You go live in a stone house, and it will fall on you and crush you. God's ways are always backward. You have to live by faith. I'm living behind a fabric fence, God. Yes, you are. It's my righteousness. I will protect you. That is your shield and your breastplate and your helmet. Oh, that's nice. The rest (laughs) of the world, God, they don't wear fabric shields and fabric helmets. Well, my people do. What is it in the uh, Lord of the Rings? Mithrael that can't be cut. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. It's the most valuable thing in the world. It can't be cut through. You're totally safe when you're wearing it. Proverbs twelve thirteen: The wicked are ensnared by the transgression of his lips, and the righteous will come through trouble. The righteous will come through trouble. No other defense will stand but the righteousness that we have between us and God. That is the defense that will stand. Next one, Proverbs 12, 21. No grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked shall be filled with evil. And I think we got a couple more. Proverbs thirteen six. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless. There it is. The breastplate of righteousness, the fence of righteousness, the robe of righteousness that covers us, it guards us. God isn't about you being shamed and exposed. He's covering you, but I'm going to cover you with me, not your own fears and worries and your own plans in your own ways righteousness guards him whose way is blameless the wickedness overthrows the sinner proverbs eighteen ten. the name of the lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe yeah. well, that's all right god when the enemy comes i'd rather uh, run into a stone building but uh, Pro- solomon learned from his dad no castles and walls and cities don't protect people all the time but the name of the lord does Proverbs 28:1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Come on! on. When you are wearing the Mithrail righteousness of God, you can go out and be bold. You don't have to hide behind a wall. Go out and fight. The Lord is on my side. I have nothing to fear. I am safe, I am okay, I can love, I can serve, I can give, I can be who God wants me to be, I can be welcoming and loving to everyone around me, I can give and give and give, and I won't be hurt. Yeah, life hurts, yes, circumstances happen, but not, I, I will not be damaged. You know what I'm saying. Life ain't going to be perfect, but we will not suffer damage because we have a helmet and a breastplate and a shield. So come out from behind your self-made prison, that stronghold You're in. Jesus wants to blow his trumpet and have the walls of Jericho fall off your head. He's going to blow his trumpet this morning and that helmet is going to dissolve off of your head. The lenses will come off of your eyes and you will see for the first time out from behind whatever it is that has defined you all of your life. I've always had that addiction. I've always had that temptation. I've always had that thought. I've always had that battle. It's going to dissolve away. Yes? Yes? Put on the armor of God instead of the walls of thought that are killing you. Let down your defenses. Surrender. Open up your heart and let me in. We're going to let Jesus blow the trumpet and, and, and uh, crumble that helmet off of your head. So close your eyes. Close your eyes. Bow your head. I want you to get real honest with yourself and with Jesus about whatever it is the wall that you've been hiding behind, the helmet you've been wearing, the lenses you're looking through, whatever picture that I use that you want to use. But I want you to put a name to it. I really want you to be completely specifically honest. Lord, I am hiding behind emotional detachment. I'm hiding behind money. I'm hiding behind anger or alcohol or criticism or oversensitivity. I know that I don't take critique very well or I require myself and everybody else around me to be perfect or whatever it is that you would be afraid to not do or be, that's your prison. But we're going to have him just blow his trumpet in the spirit this morning. And I don't know that you will feel anything as this happens, but you will see the change come to pass over the next few days and weeks. Those walls that have encased your heart are going to crumble. I'm giving you time to get real specific. I want you to purposely imagine your head in a helmet, or you're standing behind a stone wall that has a name on it, or you're looking through lenses of something, or you're carrying around a shield that isn't faith. It's some sort of fear or pride that keeps other people at arm's length, it keeps God from coming out of you. I want you to picture it. I want you to imagine it on purpose. And I want you to name it. I'm going to ask Jesus to march around that wall and blow his trumpet like Joshua, who is a picture of Jesus. And that wall is going to fall. And I want you to intentionally imagine it falling. I want you to imagine the helmet dissolving away. The wall is crumbling. Lord Jesus... I ask you to blow your trumpet. Your word is your trumpet. But we need the force of your spirit to blow through that word and make a loud noise. That brings down the walls of Jericho, Lord. That set us free from our self-imposed prisons. Lord, crumble these walls. Destroy the helmets that are destroying minds that are keeping people in prison. Break off. Thoughts and logic and imaginations and fears and ideas that are contrary to your word. Blow your trumpet, Lord. In every heart here, may we hear you loud and long sound your note that brings down the wall. It really is that easy. You just blow your trumpet and it falls. We don't have to do anything. We just admit it. And watch you set us free. So Lord, we confess now that we have built these walls of fear and protection, of selfishness and greed to protect ourselves, Lord. We surrender. We open the door to you. We admit, Lord, that it has become a prison instead of protection. We need your salvation. We need you to blow your trumpet and bring the wall down. We give it to you, Lord. We give you our fear. We give you our selfishness. We give you our pride. We give you our worries. And you trade us, and you give us the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shield of faith. Holy Spirit, I ask you to set every mind and every heart free. Surround us with the beautiful, free, and breezy righteousness of God instead of these terribly lonely tombs we have made for ourselves come down walls come down in Jesus name thank you Lord thank you for setting us free thank you for renewing our minds thank you for correcting our thoughts Lord Thank you. I speak freedom to every soul and every mind in this room now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.